the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Stand by. Those are two words I've been hearing all my life, many times uh, directly in my ear because I've, you know, worked in broadcasting. But today, America is talking about those two words said by President Trump uh, during the debate. When he was asked about the Proud Boys, he said, stand back and stand by. I have no idea what he meant by it, but of course the media took uh, their default position and took it to mean the the worst possible thing. Maybe they're right. I don't know. But first it was that he was sending a dog whistle to a white supremacist group, but it turns out that the Proud Boys are not a white supremacist group. Their leader is black, so they are wrong about that. But So now it's about sending a signal to a right-wing militia that apparently some people think, uh, is, and, and some people in the media want everybody to think, that this uh, militia would be standing by in case Joe Biden wins the election so that they can help Donald Trump stay in the White House because, as you know, he's not going to leave if he uh, if the election doesn't go his way. He's planning on uh, boarding himself up in the White House and refusing to leave. And despite the fact that Proud Boys is not a white supremacist organization, everybody who knows Donald Trump has been asked by the media over the last couple of days why he won't denounce white supremacy. Now, uh, there are videos out there that you can find in 30 seconds. I know I did. And uh, some of them are all over Twitter today, or people defending uh, Trump and, and trying to show how ridiculous it is. But on those videos, you can see and hear Donald Trump denouncing white supremacists, denouncing the KKK. No matter how many times he does it, the media continue to ask why he won't denounce it. And that even included John Roberts of Fox. He harassed uh, the press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, today, and, and he, he kept asking why the president refuses to refuses to denounce white supremacists and 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 uh it's moronic because as i said it's easy to find and those especially among the people who have covered the white house they've heard him say it it's it's just totally moronic but it's also intentionally done in most cases to keep pounding home the narrative that donald trump is a racist and that could be because the democrats and their friends in the media have uh, seen some polling that shows that more black voters intend to vote for Donald Trump this time around, and that, and there are many polls out there that uh, polls out there that show that. And as Joe Biden reminded them, of course, if they don't vote for him, they ain't black. Now, I had a woman come to my home here in Washington County earlier this afternoon, near my uh, where I am right now, by the way, uh, doing this show from my palatial estate. And uh, she was looking for support for Donald Trump. She was putting door hangers on every door on the street. And she was enthusiastically asking people to vote for Donald Trump. And she was black. That's not a good sign, I don't think, for Joe Biden. So how are the media doing in their coverage of all this? Well, when we come back, I'm going to talk to a professor of communications. And he's also a media critic and get his take on it. And in our second half hour, I'm going to talk to an author who wrote a book that does a great job of explaining why there are so many clueless young people running around the country not right now when it comes to their knowledge of American history and explains a lot of uh, a, a lot about why they're acting the way they do. Stick around. This is John Steigerwald, and I want to talk to you about the latest film from Dinesh D'Souza, and it's his most important. It's called Trump Card. And it's an expose of the socialism, corruption, and gangsterism that defines the Democrat Party. Whether it's the creeping socialism of Joe Biden or the overt socialism of Bernie Sanders, this film reveals what's unique about modern socialism, who's behind it, why it's evil, and how we can work with President Trump to stop it. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. The stakes are high, the battle lines stark, and this new film by Dinesh D'Souza explains why as only Dinesh can do. Go to watchtrumpcard.com and pre-order your video on demand and DVD now. 
You don't want to miss this important new film by Dinesh D'Souza. Order your DVD and be among the first to see the Trump Card movie on demand today, exclusively at WatchTrumpCard.com. That's WatchTrumpCard.com. Parents, let's be honest. Many high school and college-age kids seem to have little direction these days. That might be true for your son or daughter. They spend a lot of time gaming, hanging with friends, but nothing seems to lead them on a path to adulthood. You may want them to go to a four-year university, but their grades just don't warrant it. Their lack of passion and direction makes you wonder if a four-year university would even be a wise investment. Here's a better route to consider. The Full Stack Software Development Program from Steve Wozniak. Available through Salem Career Hub. They'll learn real-life work skills that are marketable and in high demand right now. And at SalemCareerHub.com, you can sign up for these courses at 50% off their regular price. Talk it over with your kids and get them out of the basement. They're probably as anxious as you are to move forward and just need a little push. The place to start? SalemCareerHub.com. You can also call 866-711-6275. 866-711-6275. Or SalemCareerHub.com. If you're an employer, a business owner, if you have 5 to 100 employees, listen up. The cost of doing business continues to skyrocket, strangling your HR department with more regulations, administrative duties, and liability than ever. I'm John Steigerwald. Your health plan's a big part of that cost. Another year, another 10% rate hike, another $1,000 increase on your deductible, another hospital or doctor you can't go to because they're not in the network. Isn't it time for a change? Well, stop the insanity and call Marley Financial, the most innovative agency in the industry. Put an end to the annual increase. Give your employees a national network that all hospitals accept and reduce your monthly premiums by 20 to 30%. It doesn't matter when your renewal is. Marley can help today. Call 724-884-1496. Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. 724-884-1496. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Stock market have you nervous with all the massive fluctuations? With the markets returning to pre-coronavirus levels, unemployment rates shifting, and the upcoming election, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. With Vantage Point, you don't have to. Text money to 411-411 to find out how our technology can forecast market trends up to three days in advance with incredible accuracy. Get what you need to stay ahead of market trends and find explosive moves before they happen. Vantage Point's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds. Stop guessing. Start predicting trends 72 hours in advance. Text the word money to 411411 and experience Vantage Point for free. Text money to 411411 so you can grow your capital now with Vantage Point. Don't wait. Text money to 411411. Go to vantagepointsoftware.com for terms, conditions, and privacy policy. You're listening to The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Now, most of the media are having a great time since the debate Tuesday night. As usual, uh, President Trump threw, threw them some uh, red meat or at least uh, something that they could treat like red meat. They're in a frenzy. And uh, Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University and a longtime media watcher and or critic. He's been on the show before uh, a couple times, and he joins us now. Jeff, always good to have you on. Thanks. You're welcome, John. Nice to be with you. So what do you make of the media's reaction to the debate Tuesday night? That's, uh, I mean, I know that's a question you could go on for a while about. I think the media is... Uh celebrating and cheering more about this than the general public is. And I think for the media, they just love something sensational to talk about, particularly the more mainstream or traditional media, as we like to call them, because this gives them a chance to jump up and down about Trump's interruptions and how Trump comported himself during the debate. But honestly, I think now that the debate is over, I think it'd be better if the media stopped worrying about this and went on to talk about more substantial issues related to the campaign and the future of the nation. Yeah, so do they have a default position when it comes to uh, President Trump that always assumes the worst? Not everybody, but so many of them? Well, I think most of the mainstream traditional media uh, had default positions. And, you know, I I think if if we had been talking a week ago at this time and predicted, well, what will the headlines look the day after the debate, I think we could have pretty much figured that 
on Good Morning America, they would talk that Trump would, had done terribly and Biden was great. Or you could have thought the same thing for the New York Times or CNN or the uh, Washington Post. So I don't think it's any surprise that most of them think that Trump didn't do well. Uh, interestingly, uh, there are some there is some basis to talk about that in terms of Trump's performance. There were things that you know he stepped on and problems that he created for himself. Uh, if you look actually at the messages he tried to deliver, most of those were halfway on target uh, and sensible enough. I mean. Uh, kind of the typical Trump exaggerations on any number of things. Mm -hmm. But when you get down to it in terms of policy, he kind of got out the statements he wanted to make. I think in terms of style, he probably was poorly coached. Although one of the questions is, can the people who manage him actually manage him or coach him? And I'm not convinced of that necessarily. But clearly, the strategy was to go out there and crash and burn things uh, and interrupt where necessary. And I'm not sure that plays well for him. It might do fine for the people who are already on his bandwagon. But at some point, he's still going to need suburban moms, and he still needs independence or the few people who are left undecided. And, and they, they're maybe not as interested in that kind of theater as they might be in terms of just looking at policy. And that's the one thing I would say in terms of Trump is he, he has a record to run on three and a half years, and I would think you could make a case that there are many aspects of it that, you know, average people would look at and say, that's pretty good. You know, the economy for one thing, international relations, probably for another. Uh, terrorism has been addressed, you know, in terms of ISIS and, you know, certain terror leaders. Uh, North Korea is not acting up as much as they used to. Uh, he's taken a strong stance against China. So, I mean, he has some policy things that he could talk about and, and accomplishments that he could talk about without having to go off on tangents and kind of stepping on his own message, which I think he did. But getting back to the media, the media loves the, 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 media loves the disruptive kind of stuff. They like the sensationalism, uh, and they're going to run that as far as they can. And most of the media accounts of the debate I've seen since have not looked at whether or not Trump had any policy statements or talked about his record, they're always they're just abs obsessed with talking about oh he interrupted, and you know he was trying to get Biden off 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 his game, and, and to a certain extent he did. I mean he got Biden to call him names, and he got Biden to say shut up and call him a clown and <laughs> stuff like that. So I mean now that you might say okay well in that case it kind of worked, but I'm not sure if it worked in the greater scheme of things. So but. The media loves its sensationalism, and you know, and, and part of the story since the debate has been, you know, what should the Commission on Presidential Debates do differently to change the rules for the next round of debates? And I'm thinking, well, well you know, what's going on here? We're, we're manipulating the rules after the game's already started. I mean, in an NFL game, you don't see them changing the rules at halftime just because the Steelers are ahead, for example. Right. So I think, you know, that that's, I don't think that's a wise thing. And let's face it. These, these presidential debates are set up as media events to start with. They are totally designed as media events. They're designed for sound bites. They're designed for visuals. They're designed for entertainment and for sensationalism. And I'm thinking if the Commission on Presidential, presidential Debates is really interested in tamping down on all that, they ought to take them off television. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, television is... You know, the problem here, because really what we're here, what we see here is the forcing of political rhetoric, the forcing of political dialogue into a mechanism that is television. And television, as you and I've talked about before, is totally a medium of emotion. It doesn't do well with rational, deliberate thinking. And so when you put it on TV, you're just asking for this kind of rumble, which we saw. What do you think of... Um Chris Wallace's performance, he's getting uh, pretty well trashed by, I, I don't know if he's getting trashed as much by liberals as he is by uh, Trump voters and conservatives, but uh, he's getting trashed big time. Well, I think the liberals appreciate Chris Wallace. Um, you know, when he does his Sunday show, um, you know, there are times he seems to suggest that maybe he leans a little left. And by, mm -hmm. by the way, you know, that's okay. He's welcome to. He's a commentator and an interviewer. Right. That's fine. Um, I think there's a lot of reason for people to be concerned with how Wallace performed. And, and, and actually, I would say by his own standard, he was a failure. You might know that before the debate, he did a couple of interviews with news organizations, and he said, well, uh, 
you know, the the best moderators are the ones that just kind of raise the issues and then let the candidates go at it. And he said, if, uh, you know, I've, I've done my job well, when the debate's over, people will say, well, that was a great debate. Uh, God, who was the moderator? Well, clearly, everybody knows who the moderator was because of how it went. And so by his own standard, in a sense, he's, he failed because he was not invisible. Um, and, you know, frankly, he was not invisible on several levels. One is his questions were way too long and set up with a million premises that mainly Trump did not like. And I'm thinking, well, if you're setting up a question with a premise that you know is going to cause controversy, you can't be surprised that Trump's going to start butting in here, okay? But when he did weigh in and when he did try to referee, so to speak, uh, it seemed to kind of be taking the pressure off of Biden rather than Trump. And really, at a certain point, Wallace became almost a pseudo-debater, particularly on the issue of climate change. You might remember that Wallace and Trump had uh, an exchange that was probably three minutes plus on matters of climate change, where Trump was disputing what Wallace was asking, and ask, you know, Wallace would ask again, and Joe Biden's just standing off to the side saying, hey, that's great, you guys go ahead and have at it. Uh, and Wallace let Biden off the hook, particularly on the one question I thought was quite interesting and, and rather pointed at Biden was about the court packing um, and yeah. Wallace totally let him off the hook on that. And when Biden started talking about the Green New Deal and he didn't support that and that sort of thing, and, you know, Wallace had a great opening to go in and just say, well, wait a second. Your party's platform says that you're in favor of the Green New Deal, and you've never said before that you're not in favor of it. So, like, is this a change or what's going on? So, anyway, I think the criticisms of Wallace uh, are legitimate. Uh, and, you know, he's had a great career. He's, you know, he's a well-regarded newsman. I don't want to, like, pile on too much here. But this was not his best moment. Um, and I do agree with him this was a missed opportunity. But part of the missed opportunity was because of the way he managed things. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, um, you know, I worked in TV for a long time, and I, I was mostly in sports. But um, uh, one of the things that I learned is that the best way to, if you're calling a game, is to get out of the way and let the you know only describe things that you think need to be described and let the viewers see the game and leave them alone if it's if it's uh, television and but as so when I was watching the debate um, and I probably maybe I thought about it more as kind of doing some uh, second guessing after but I, I thought what what Chris Wallace would have done and he would have been heroic. And it would have been an, an historic moment in American history and in American television. He should have said, uh, listen, gentlemen, uh, I, Mr. President, you're the president. I want to show you all the respect in the world. Same with you, Mr. Biden. You're a former vice president. You're running for president of the United States. We had rules coming in that you both agreed to, and uh, you're not following them. So I am not going to ask you any more questions if you continue to interrupt each other. And, uh, and at some point he should have said, okay, guys, uh, we're 42 minutes into this uh, debate. We have about another 45 minutes to go here. Um, I'm done. Go ahead. I'm not <laughs> asking you any questions. And yeah, walk, that- I, I, would, I, I would have loved to see him walk off the stage, and maybe that would have been a good thing, and just say, listen, go ahead. You guys have it. Well, these rules were, we were, are, are ridiculous. Nobody's paying attention to them. I'm just getting in the way. Go ahead. I wish I wish somebody would have the guts to do something like that. Yeah, that would have been a gut, great. That would have been a very gutsy move, and one that I think I would have supported. Because I mean, yeah. interestingly, again, you know, in the run up to the debate, he was saying he just wanted to raise the issues and let the candidates engage each other. I'm thinking, okay, let them engage. And when the interruption started, I'm thinking, okay, you've got two adult, you know, experienced politicians up there who can stand up for themselves, and at a certain point you don't need somebody to step in there and referee, but Biden is fully capable. Well, he did try to shut Trump up, but I'm thinking at a certain point he can manage himself. And if Trump steamrolls him, that's kind of a problem in itself. So Mm -hmm. I actually, I think format wise, it might've been better to just say, Hey, this is now going to be Lincoln Douglas. And when Lincoln and Douglas debated in 1858, they didn't have any moderators or anybody asking three hours or longer. They went, they went for hours at a time. Now, of course, they were respectful, and this is a different time, and, yeah. you know, we've got more chaos. Right. But the disagreements well, they, brought- they had were, were quite severe. But they allowed each other to speak. And here's the other thing. If you want to get your points in and you want a chance to speak, 
at a certain point, Trump and Biden should have both figured out at some point they're going to have to let the other guy get their points out. So they've got a way to combat them back or to rebut them. And if you're interrupting all the time, you're never going to get that person on the record as a way to get him into a corner that you can go after him. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, and we're talking to Jeff McCall. He's a professor of communication at DePaul University and a longtime media critic, uh, and you've kind of stuff at The Hill and other places. Um, uh, do you know that Ski- Steve Scully of C-Pan, uh, C-SPAN uh, is the moderator of the next debate, and he was an intern for Joe Biden, uh, and he worked for Ted Kennedy? So uh, whatever happened to, to conflict of interest? I mean, as a media professor and, and someone who teaches ethics, I'm sure, in, in, when it comes to journalism and media, how does, how does a guy who was an intern for one of the participants in a uh, presidential debate get, get, first of all, chosen to be the moderator and then accepted by the opposition? How does that happen? Yeah, I, I can't imagine that the Trump campaign was happy about that. And maybe they just dropped the ball or, you know, got blindsided. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and C-SPAN is a respectable organization, so I'm not, I don't have any problems with C-SPAN necessarily. But yeah. the choice of Scully, as you, rec- as you recognize there, is a questionable one here. And, and the thing is, there were other people, you know, on the roster at C-SPAN who would not have had the baggage that Scully is going to bring to the operation. Yeah. And, and they have Kristen Welker lined up. Uh, to be the the moderator, and she's from NBC, as you know, the White House correspondent for NBC. She's lined up to do the third debate. And in press conferences and in interviews, she's been combative with Trump already. And so I'm thinking, now, maybe it's just impossible in this day and age to find journalists or media people who aren't tainted in some way. But I think there are bound to be people out there who could have refereed in a way and moderated in a way that uh, you know, is sensible and appropriate and fair and that they don't come in with particular baggage behind them. And I just wish that the Commission on Presidential Debates would have spent more time. And, you know, I don't know whether this was, uh, uh, you know, just a, a fumble or whether they knew about all this background. But if they didn't, that, that's bad on them. And, you know, honestly, I would, if it were up to me, if I ran the Commission on Presidential Debates, I would get journalists out of the picture of these things altogether. And I would find somebody, you know, uh, who knows where a from the judicial of, of, of uh, media at a university, hey, maybe I'd, I'd be glad to step in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I wouldn't, but that, that, that would be more of a headache than I'd want to deal with. But yeah. there's got to be a retired federal judge somewhere, um, you know, David Souter or somebody who would come in, have have enough respect and gravitas and not have a horse in the race. Uh, you know, maybe a distinguished professor or, a, a, you know, a a major philanthropist or somebody like that who would come in who doesn't have a track record of being an advocate for for any you know policy matter or any political party and let them come in there give them a stopwatch get the candidates to agree in advance we're only going to talk so far and then we shut up and then move on and i think that that we need a whole overhaul of this process and by the way i've been saying this for 20 years, and it didn't take Trump and Biden to go off the rails for me to feel that way. We need to get journalists out of it because most of them are advocates. Most of them have track records. Uh, and, and when you get down to, like, Kristen Welker or even Chris Wallace, they all have brands. They are recognizable figures on the national stage. They have brands. They represent major news organizations that have brands as well. And they just can't help but want to make a moment for themselves or to play a key role. And we've seen that happen in debates going back for years. And, you know, Candy Crowley was famous for that at CNN when she moderated the Romney and Obama debate. And I'm just saying, let's get the journalists out there. Let's put people in there who don't have a profile, who don't have a brand, uh, and don't have a news organization that they represent. And find somebody else, another way to do that. Jeffrey, I'm out of time. i got about 20 seconds. Thanks for being on. It's always great to get your perspective. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, that's Jeffrey McCall. He's professor of communications at DePaul University, and we will be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Thousands of airline employees getting furloughed while the companies wait to see if they'll get more money from taxpayers. The White House has included $20 billion for airlines and a $1.6 trillion 
COVID-19 relief proposal. That's closer to the House Democrats' $2.2 trillion plan, but an agreement's still up in the air. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who is recovering in Germany after being poisoned in Russia by a nerve agent, accusing Russian President Putin of being behind the crime. The NFL postponing Sunday's Pittsburgh Steelers game at Tennessee until later in the season. That's after two more people on the Tennessee team tested positive for COVID-19. Stock indexes ended higher after another day of back-and-forth trading. The Dow gained 35 points, the Nasdaq up 159, and the S&P picked up 17. This is SRN News. God's Word is power, and we need to be in His Word every day gaining wisdom. God is very patient, but because of our immoral society, we are drowning in debt, have poor public education, and corruption all around us. Our founders would be horrified at what the democratic agenda has become. With the right and left fighting each other, they get none of the work done. Please go to ProfitToAmerica.com. We're going to lose America. You can't remain silent. That's ProfitToAmerica.com. Fall is a season that's a little in the middle. It's sort of the best of two seasons. It's no longer a sweaty summer, but the winter chill is still around the corner. And that's the perfect time to feed and seed your lawn with Scott's Turf Builder. Even better than spring. Because the soil is still warm, but the air is getting cool. So your lawn gets the most nutrients in the best combination of temperatures. Feed and seed now with Scott's Turf Builder. And build the best lawn for every season. Scott's. It's good out here. Dan Proft says Democrats have no one to blame but themselves. It is worth remembering that you can share with your friends that uh, Democrat socialists have no one to thank but themselves. Starting in 2013, when Harry Reid uh, exercised the nuclear option, abolishing Senate rules, abolishing the filibuster on nominees to district and circuit courts. The Dan Proft Show, weeknights at 9 on AM 1250, The Answer. The journey to retirement can be scary and complicated. For comprehensive advice and guidance to navigate through the financial world, tune in to Lux on Your Retirement with the Synergy Group for current information and analysis on how to plan and finance your ideal retirement. Lux on Your Retirement, Saturday at 2 and Sunday morning at 9 on AM 1250, The Answer. Securities offered through GW Cole Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through GW Cole Advisors. GW Cole Financial and GW Cole Advisors are not affiliated with the Synergy Group Incorporated. Hey, John Stoggerwald here. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. And he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow either. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors, and Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You will receive two for one, low price plus free shipping. Call 1-800-716-8087. Use the promo code STAG or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code STAG. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. All jammed up on outbound 28 with an accident. Parkway North up to Butler Street. That's close to a 40-minute delay. Inbound also busy Butler Street to Grant Avenue. Watch out for other accidents. Got one on the North Shore, Federal Street at Parkhurst Street. On the Parkway East, that's backed up on the outbound side. Bates Street to Edgewood Swissvale for about a six-minute delay. Your delay inbound, that's about five minutes from Brinton Road overpass into the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. 
Weather. Mostly cloudy skies are expected for tonight. We'll see a low of 43. Tomorrow, times of clouds and sunshine with a shower in places. Tomorrow's high, 58. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow night with a low of 38. Saturday, intervals of clouds and sunshine. Saturday will reach a high of 58. Some sunshine Sunday, then turning cloudy with occasional rain in the afternoon. Sunday's high, 58. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, when I see videos of Antifa demonstrating and rioting, I see what appears, at least to me, to be children, mostly, uh, out for a good time. With the more serious ones, I just see total cluelessness. But I also wonder how they got to this point of hating America and thinking socialism or even communism is a pretty good idea and might be the answer. Mary Graber wrote a book that goes a long way toward explaining it, and she joins us now. Mary, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. So your book is called Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. I've talked about Howard on this show with other people before, uh, but just as a refresher, who is he and how did he do that, turn a generation against America? Well, uh, Howard Zinn was a member of the Communist Party. He was born in 1922, and during the Depression as a teenager, he was converted. And uh, he has a very long FBI file, and by the best expertise, we can tell he was a member. But he followed party directives and dropped his official membership and started teaching college, first at Spelman and then at Boston University. And he radicalized students, uh, turned them against the administration and against their own country, led them on protests. And then in the late 70s, he wrote A People's History of the United States. It came out in 1980, and it's basically communist disinformation. He distorts evidence, he lies, he falsifies evidence, he plagiarizes, he quotes deceptively. And it's a false history of the United States, but its purpose is to turn its readers against their own country and present communism as this wonderful system, uh, you know, that, that can be, could be employed and that would solve all the problems of inherent racism and oppression and all these other things that he accuses the United States of embodying. Uh, sounds like a wonderful guy. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so how does a person, that, that how does the person that you just described there, number one, work his way into being a college, I guess, history professor, and then writing a book that is widely accepted as a legitimate history of the United States, and then that's disseminated to kids everywhere and high schools all over America. I mean, how... How does he, it's one thing to write a stupid book and to do everything uh-huh. that you just described there, plagiarize and uh, make things up. You know, everybody, anybody can write a book and put anything they want in it. But how does it get to where his, this people's uh, history of the United States, how does it get to become that? Well, Howard Zinn had a Ph.D. and he was hired in 1956 uh, to teach at Spelman College, a small Christian school for black women in Atlanta, and uh, his he, he looked impressive. Of course, he hot, hid all his communist sympathies and membership, and he wrote a good dissertation. After that, he did nothing else that was scholarly. And when his book first came out in 1980, I think they only printed about 4,000 copies, but it kind of caught on, word spread, teachers started sneaking it into the classroom. Uh, They would copy pages and then collect them before the end of class. And uh, then under the Obama administration, the standards for the advanced placement U.S. history courses, which are taught in high school for students to get college credit, were changed to the radical left. And so Howard Zinn's book was used openly. You can, you know, the whole book is taught or parts of it are taught. And if the students learn Howard Zinn's version of American history, they can do, they will do well on the AP test. And the AP test, uh, 
also sort of sets the standard for the lower level courses. And so now, you know, there's, you know, the radical leftist professors, they they claim that, you know, Howard Zinn is simply offering a different perspective and that those who object to his history are nationalists, white nationalists, and that they're teaching the sugar-coated view of American history. And that's not true. And what I do in my book is I document with extensive footnotes almost a thousand, um, how he twists around the words from his sources, how he leaves out critical words, how he plagiarizes, and not even from an historian, but from a book for high school students. And that's how he made his claim to fame as an authority on Christopher Columbus. Yeah, we talked about that. I actually had someone on last week talking about uh, there's a movement here. I, I actually don't even know what happened. There was uh, the uh, cult, uh, the um, Committee on Culture, or whatever they call it here in Pittsburgh, decided it would be a good idea to remove the Christopher Columbus statue from a city park. Uh, and I don't think they've come to a final uh, um, decision on that yet. But we talked about that here a week or so ago. Uh, and that's one of his sins, is that he, he's the, did he start the anti-Christopher Columbus movement? He, he basically did. What he did is he plagiarized from a 1976 book written by a fellow radical novelist. <laughs> um, a, a short paperback for high school students is just, it's just a screed. So Howard Zinn's first five and a half pages are basically copied from it. Howard Zinn was a great self-promoter. He said that he had discovered all this long-hidden information about Christopher Columbus, how he committed genocide and chopped off hands of the natives who did not produce the gold, you know, that he demanded of them. And he, he he's the one who popularized that. And ever since Zinn's book has come out, a lot of or most textbooks will follow his example. And they not, American history now starts with Columbus, and that same negative perspective of Columbus is given, and it's completely false. Uh, if, if anything, Columbus uh, cared about the natives, about the Indians. He wanted to convert them to his faith, to the Catholic faith, and to save their souls. He adopted one as his son had him baptized. So it's the exact opposite of what Zen says. But you get these people at city councils and these cultural committees and on and on. And um, if they don't quote Zen exactly, they're quoting that version of the history of Columbus that has seeped into the uh, general knowledge um, and also, there's the Zen Education Project, which was started by one of Zen's students from the 1970s, a student who actually got quite wealthy, and it distributes Abolish Columbus Day kits to teachers to use in their classrooms for students to petition their school, city council, other places to take down statues of Columbus and to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. Wow. So, so um, <laughs> what made you decide? Well, obviously, I think it's pretty obvious what I was going to say. What made you decide to write the book? But you're you are uh, an historian yourself, and a and a and a professor yourself, and you thought it was time to debunk it. Do you do you think that as, as you're debunking? Uh, gotten any traction with any of these people who are still spreading it around at, at the schools around the country? Well, I've been uh, acknowledged. Uh, so I uh-huh. participated in the White House Conference on History and the Zen Education Project finally acknowledged uh, who I was and in a fundraising email sent out hours after the White House Conference uh, on Constitution Day said that I had written an anti-Howard Zinn book and that I was traveling the country, you know, uh, spreading lies about Howard Zinn. And uh, so they've noticed me, and there were several other sites that um, have noticed me. So, um, 
I think that is a, a good sign. They have to notice this. And um, what I'm hoping to do is to get my book into the hands of students. Um, it's in paperback, and it's sold at a considerable discount for group discussions. And I want it to be in every library uh, that has Howard Zinn's book. So at least, you know, if they're curious and if they want to know and if what their teacher is telling them sounds kind of off, they can go to my book, look it up, look up my sources and rebut his claims because they are lies. It's not another perspective. It's not a bottom-up history. It's a false history. It's deliberately falsified. We're talking to Mary Graybar, who wrote a book. Uh, it's called Debunking Howard Zinn, who wrote the book A People's History of the United States. And if, um, you know, listening to you about what, uh, of uh, your description of what's in this book and the fact that it's being, it's, it's gotten so much exposure in schools around the country, just, I mean, how much, how widespread is it? In American schools, I mean, uh, are, are people listening here in Western Pennsylvania right now? How likely is it that their son or daughter has been taught history by this idiot? <laughs> well, I I don't have the hard and fast numbers, yeah. Um, but anecdotally, you know, a couple months ago, I was at our our little library here. The student is uh, behind the desk. Uh, is taking AP U.S. history. She said, yes, we are reading chapters from his book. Um, parents have told me his book has sold over 3 million copies. It's a record breaker for a book of its type. It's, it's a crossover. It's used as a textbook and also as a general history book. The Zen Education Project has a, over 120 or about 120,000 people educators who have signed up to download their lessons that are adapted from Howard Zinn's book. There are 300,000 followers on social media. So these are teachers who are using his book. And in Portland, you know, city of Port, you know, the, the uh, center of Antifa. A lovely city these days. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there's also a young people's history of the United States written for middle schoolers and all eighth graders in Portland and surrounding areas use that book in their classes. It's a textbook. And if you want to know why, you know, the center of all this rioting is in Portland, I think that is one of the reasons because then uh, in addition to uh, presenting this communist disinformation about the United States history openly advocates for violence. He glorifies it. He romanticizes that the heroes are the martyrs. And also in Washington State, there was that guy about a year ago who tried to blow up an ICE detention facility. Uh, you know, fortunately, yeah. he was killed by the police before he right. could do any harm, and he left behind a manifesto uh, saying, read Howard's and People's History. The Boston bomber uh, was influenced by Howard's and, uh, and clearly, if you read his book, you get the sense that, you know, th this country is so unjust, it's irredeemable, the only solution is to take to the streets and trash everything, tear it down, start a violent revolution. It's scary to think that this person you're just, this book and this person that you're describing um, it got, has gotten away with this, and, and that there are kids, not kids, there are adults now who were brought up uh, reading this. Uh, and I just have a feeling that parents have no clue. The average, most parents don't know, and they're, and they're not only that, but there are plenty of parents out there who, who's used that book themselves and see nothing wrong with it. They think that's history. Exactly. Right. And uh, also teachers have been trained with it, yeah. uh, either in education schools and, and the Zen Education Project puts on summer teaching seminars for teachers where they get continuing education credit. You know, teachers have to uh, continue to take workshops, and they often do that in the summertime. And the Zen Education Project is doing that. 
and they will send out people to put on workshops at your school. Thank you, taxpayer, for paying the Zen Education Project to do that. Um, you know, it, it, they're, they're insidious. They're all over. And, um, you know, Howard, the late Howard Zinn, you know, he died 10 years ago, but he is worshipped by the left, uh, by Jane Fonda in San Francisco. There's a book fair in his name every year. There's there, the Hollywood celebrities and actors come out and read passages from you know, uh, the collected works, the speeches that he put together. Um, so sports stars, quote, rock stars, he's a hero. And, um, and it's really amazing to think of it, you know, for 40 years, this demonstrably wrong, factually wrong book has had such an influence. Terrifying. Uh, we're talking to Mary Graybar, and her book is Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History That Turned a Generation Against America. And uh, we only have about a minute and a half left, Mary. To, uh, listening to you, it's easy to see why uh, this um, book succeeded in turning, I don't know if it turned an entire generation against America, but it sure turned a lot of people against it. And uh, they're out there running around, and some of them are holding office right now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, actually, um, some uh, there in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City, there is a council member who took her oath of office on Zinn's book of people's oh, history boy. instead of the scary. Bible. Um, <laughs> you've got you know AOC out there who seems to have been indoctrinated by Zinn. Uh, it is very frightening. So this is the second generation that's being brought up on Howard Zinn, and I'm, you know, I wrote the book in order to expose the falseness so that we have a weapon, a tool to fight the left and to say, no, this is not another perspective. This is how he deliberately lied and distorted his sources. He quotes someone, if you go back to the original book, you see that that author said the exact opposite of what Howard Zinn says, and I document all of that. Mary, I'm out of time, and uh, the book, again, is Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. I'd like to see the federal government uh, require that every school in the country uh, would have to get your book if it has the if it has Zinn's book. It needs to get your book. I know that'll never happen, but it sure needs to. I appreciate you being on and appreciate what you've done with the book. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back. This is John Steigerwald. You know, this election in November is the most consequential since 1860. The stakes are high. The battle line's stark, and that's why I'm excited to talk to you about Dinesh D'Souza's latest film. It's called Trump Card, and it's an expose of the socialism, corruption, and gangsterism that defines the Democrat Party. Now, whether it's the creeping socialism of Joe Biden or the overt socialism of Bernie Sanders, this film reveals what's unique about modern socialism, who's behind it, why it's evil, and how we can work with President Trump to stop it. Go to WatchTrumpCard.com and pre-order your video on demand and DVD. You don't want to miss this important new film by Dinesh D'Souza. Order your DVD and video on demand today and be among the first to see the Trump Card movie at WatchTrumpCard.com. That's WatchTrumpCard.com. Hi there, Hugh Hewitt. I have a book that you've been waiting for, the one that totally uncovers the anti-Trump movement within the Washington establishment. My good friend Byron York, you know him from Fox News, The Washington Examiner, he's on my show all the time. He's got a brand new book. It's called Obsession, Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump, and Byron brings the heat. Obsession is a must-read. He's the political correspondent that you always trust anyway. But now he's got officials and members of the Trump defense team on the record. All of the stuff you want to find out about what happened with the special counsel, what happened with the impeachment, what happened with Ukraine, it's all in Byron's new book, Obsession. Look, the opposition will stop at nothing to prevent Donald Trump's re-election. Now is the time to get the facts. Read Byron York's penetrating new book, Obsession. 
Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump. Available from Amazon and wherever books are sold. Obsession by Byron York. Obsession by Byron York. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Here's one for you from Berkeley, California. The Bay Area City Council unanimously voted uh, last night that starting next year, grocery stores larger than 2,500 square feet will be required to sell not the typical selection of junk food, but 25 square feet of healthy items within the three-foot radius of the register. That's right. The Healthy Checkout Ordinance defines healthy as items containing five or less grams of added sugar and less than 250 milligrams of sodium per serving. We're not saying you can't have these goods. We're just saying they're not going to be right at the eye level of your children when they walk into the store and you're waiting in that long checkout line. That's what, that's what the council member Kate Harrison said. Quote, we know that people that eat a lot of high, high sugar and salty products have worse health outcomes, and this particularly besets, are you ready, low-income communities and people of color. I don't know. I'm not a person of color. I don't ever like to try to put myself in that position. I know I can't. But I'm thinking that I would have to be a little bit insulted by that. That is so condescending and an example of the soft bigotry of low expectations that, that, that what am I, a child that you have to, you have to take care of me so that my kids don't eat candy? What is going on? And who wants to put these idiots in charge? I'll bet that woman read Howard Zinn's book. I'll, I bet a million dollars she did. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.